everybody and welcome back to the Mark Leverage podcast. This one being for August 2016 and it's a fabulous to have you along. Thank you for listening. I always think August is a slightly strange time of year for magic. Not so much for shows because sometimes um, the summer months can be very busy. I've had a very good summer this year in terms of bookings. Although that's not always the case, it has been this year. But certainly as a, on the dealing side of my business, I always notice that you get to the, about the third week in July, which just so happens to coincide in the UK with when the schools break up. And then it's like turning off a tap. A lot of the orders dry up and it seems to go very, very quiet. In some ways, it's quite nice because it, it gives me a chance to take stock of what's been going on, of think about where I want to go over the next few months, things I want to release, things I want to do. Uh, rather than trying to rush along headlong dealing with the day-to-day busyness. But it, it is a very strange sort of feeling when you get to this sort of five to six week period when magic kind of goes to sleep, almost like hibernating for a while. And then it kind of all starts up again in September when the children go back to school, people stop having, on the whole, having holidays and uh, and things go back to sort of some sort of a norm normality. Uh, I'm having a holiday for the, in the second and third weeks of August this year. And uh, and if you're having a holiday, I hope you'll have a fantastic time and that you'll come back, like I hope to, completely refreshed. But before I go off on holiday, I'm going to do this podcast and I've got a whole load of things that I want to have a chat with you about. The first subject that I, I wanted to talk to you about, actually, is about age. The um, age that we are as magicians, I think can sometimes make quite a difference to the age and type of audience that we appeal to. Now, I don't think it's that young magicians can only appeal to a young audience and older magicians to an older audience, but I do feel that there is a certain um, time in your life when you start to realise that your appeal is for a particular age group. I mean, I've noticed this as I've got older, that I get more older birthday parties, for instance, 50, 60, 70, 80, that sort of thing. Wedding anniversaries, 20th, 30th wedding anniversaries. So you're looking at an, an older range of people. And I suspect that the reason that, that I'm getting those types of bookings is because I'm older myself. And therefore, to the person who's booking me, when they see my picture or my photo or see any video, they think, oh, he's the same age as us. And so there's a certain amount of... I guess, feeling, well, they feel safe booking me. I'm not some young whippersnapper who's going to come along and and in some way ruffle their feathers. Uh, I seem more safe, I guess. And when I was thinking about this initially, uh, I was thinking, oh, well, that's a pity because I like entertaining young people um, as well as older people. I like the whole age range. So I don't just want to end up perhaps entertaining older people. But I don't think really it's it's a case of that, because, as I say, I do, I do think young people can entertain older people and vice versa. It's just that in a way, once you come to realise that you may be appealing to a particular age group, it starts to focus your mind, perhaps, on where your publicity was, should be going. I suddenly realised that. Well, if there's a market, a strong market for me, let's say with people having 50th, 60th, 70th birthdays, then a lot of my publicity should start to be targeted to that age group. I should be trying to get at those people because I am attractive to them as a magician. 
and it would be ridiculous not to tap into it. And I hadn't really thought of it like that before. I'd always just thought about publicity to general publicity, trying to appeal to all age groups. And and I think you do need to do that as well, because you don't want to exclude the possibility of, of doing weddings for young people or, or, or whatever, or even children's shows for that matter. But on the other hand, if you can start to identify that there's a particular age group that you, that you seem to be getting a lot of bookings for, then embrace it and think, right, now I'm going to start targeting my publicity in order to get at those people who who are now finding me attractive uh, as a magician. And it was quite a, quite a in a way, perhaps it seems obvious when you talk about it, but it seemed it was quite a quantum leap for me that to suddenly realise that that is that it that perhaps was the case and that I could take advantage of it in a way that I hadn't been in the past. So depending on what age you are, uh, have you found the same thing? Do you find if you're younger that you get more of a young crowd in terms of your bookings and less for older people or not? And if you have identified an area, have you made any efforts to specifically target that age group of spectator? When Jeremy Corbyn was elected the leader of the Labour Party last year, it didn't take very long for quite a few people to start telling me that I looked like Jeremy Corbyn. And uh, although I initially hadn't noticed a similarity because you don't tend to when it's yourself, when people started to say it to me, he is seven years older than me, but I suppose there are certain casual similarities, if you like, in the way we look in photographs. And... um, But what really struck me was not just that magicians have said this to me, but every time I go out and do a show, I will get several people who say, hey, did you know you look a bit like Jeremy Corbyn? So I decided that uh, there are two ways that you can approach this. You can either feel irritated by this or you can kind of embrace the whole concept. Uh, I mean, my wife did say to me, just give up the magic mark and just do a lookalike. But I really don't think I look that like him. However, so now I've started to on occasions, start my act or if I go up to a group and I think they would appreciate the joke, I make a joke about it. And I say, oh, everybody, just before I start, I have to give you some exciting news. Well, it's exciting for me. I have to tell you that last week I was runner-up in a Jeremy Corbyn lookalike competition. And it's funny, when I say this, immediately lots of people go, oh, yes, yes, you do look like him. And they all laugh. And sometimes they even clap, would you believe, which is ridiculous. So uh, by doing that, then I'm stopping people interrupting me by and saying halfway through my act and saying, do you know you look like Jeremy Corbyn? But then having said that and having said that I came second in a lookalike competition, um, I then carry on and say, but why the reason I'm so pleased about this is that Jeremy Corbyn himself came third. So it's it's just a joke. But um, it was just interesting to me that I felt that I needed to say something in order to stop people sitting there and being distracted and thinking, this guy looks like somebody, can't quite think who it is. Oh, I know, it's Jeremy Corbyn. (sighs) I mean, you can't help who you look like, can you? Let's face it. In the last couple of weeks, I've been noticing some publicity for a special magic event that's taking place at the end of September. It's the Business and Marketing Conference 2016, which is being organised by magician Ken Dine, otherwise known as Mentalist Kennedy. And he is very passionate about uh, arranging an event in which he, him and a couple of other people who are also on the bill with him, 
will be helping people to market themselves better and to have a more professional approach, increase their fees, get more bookings. It's all the business side of being a magician. Show business has two sides. It has the show and it has business, as we all know. This is very much in the business camp. And um, I've done events like this myself in the past because I think there is a bit of a lack of information sometimes. There are lots and lots of people going around these days doing trick lectures. And I think for a lot of people interested in magic, that is probably enough. They're looking for more tricks to learn and to practice and to do and to show family and friends. And they have no real aspirations quite often to go out and earn money doing magic, make a career of it or even a semi-pro career. They don't want to do that. But then there are other people, and I would say this is a much smaller group, who I would imagine at this time are a little bit frustrated because it's certainly in terms of marketing and advertising, it's all got a lot more complicated, as we all know. You know, Yellow Pages was great. We didn't realise it perhaps at the time, but it was a great because it was a one-stop shop and you just put your advert in and that was job done. But now it isn't like that and it's quite complicated. And and the whole way that um, everybody's having to market themselves, the, the whole business has got much, much more complicated and advice about how to go about it and how to maximise any potential that you might have as a performer um, I think is well worth trying to get hold of. So Ken is going to have an intensive day in which he's going to be giving people masses of information about how they can can do this type of thing. I think it's, it sounds actually very interesting. The days that I did, uh, he, he's limiting it to 50 people. Uh, and the days that I did were small events, about a dozen people. And I did the business magician where I talked about having um, different ways of strolling magicians or close up magicians could use their skills to work for businesses outside the normal sort of end of year party or celebration or whatever. So in other words, not just social events, but other types of way of working for businesses, including trade shows. And the second was the Magic Marketing Masterclass, which in terms of its content was very much more similar to what Ken is going to be doing in his particular event. And in this, we we took three elements. We took the element of social media and how to use it to promote yourself effectively. Second element was how to put together a marketing strategy rather than just scattergun approach to trying all sorts of different ways to advertise and publicize yourself, looking at a proper strategy and understanding how you could formulate one. And then the third element was how once you'd got the inquiries coming in, how to maximize the return in terms of converting them into bookings. And I think all this sort of information for those people who really, as I say, do want to go out there and be successful and they do want to earn money. It's very, very important. It's just a question, I think, as an organiser of this type of event, whether there are enough people who are prepared to pay to go and hear this information. I think sometimes it's a false economy. We think, oh, we tend to, as magicians, teach, try to teach ourselves probably just about everything. And it's not always a good idea. We try to perhaps, perhaps not so much these days, but in the past, in the early days of websites, I'm sure we all tried to make our own website. Well, as things have got more sophisticated, that is no longer probably good enough unless unless you have some particular skills in that area. You need to get professionals to do it for you because otherwise your website's going to look very 
Hmm. poor shall we say in comparison to the more professionally designed ones that other people may be having done and it's the same with the with general marketing you can't make the assumption that unless you have insider knowledge about how to do it that you're going to know how to use all the elements that are now available to you in order to get the most out of the, the money that you spend on advertising and trying to get bookings so i think ken's events like Ken's and Ken's event that's coming up on the 25th of September if you are somebody who really wants to to learn how to get to grips with this this whole mass of opportunities that are now out there how you can increase the number of bookings how you can get better fees and so on no matter what type of magic you do whether it's children's magic cabaret mentalism whether it's close-up it's applicable to all that I think attending a day like this is money well spent and is certainly something that you should consider Right, here's a question for you. At what point does a trick get to be considered to be public domain? In other words, at what point does an idea go from being the personal property of the inventor into something that just about anybody can publish, use or whatever? Because I was having a, a chat with a magic friend of mine about this the other day. There are certain things which are considered to be public domain, such as, I don't know, an Akito box. Is that public domain? Yeah, I guess it kind of is. Well, how does what, who is it, first of all, who decides when it becomes public domain? And, and, and what is the definition of public domain in terms of how you categorise a trick either is or isn't? Is it the length of time that it's been around? So if it was invented more than, say, I don't know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, does that automatically make it public domain? People often, lay people often ask uh, when they discover, for instance, that I sort of make up magic and market magic and they say, oh, um, do you uh, do you patent your tricks? Well, anybody inside magic will know that it's very rare that a trick is patented because for something to get a patent authorised, it needs to be unique and nearly all magic is not unique of course it's a combination of known elements uh, it, the way that those elements are brought together may be different and, and may be individual to you as the creator but the the core elements that are used they're not unique and therefore usually anyway you can't get a patent for them even if you could it's unlikely that you as the inventor would want to go to the huge expense and the time that it takes to go through with that and in any case because if somebody does rip off your idea then trying to afford to prosecute them through the patent laws particularly if this person who'd done the rip-off was in another country from them, from your own it just it just makes it a non-starter you're just never going to do it that the, the trick itself and the money that you make out of it it just isn't worth trying to protect it in this way but amongst magicians if you think about people who've authored books aimed at the general public you know there has to be a crossover between somebody who has no magical knowledge at all uh, and then them getting some information as they start to get interested whether they're children kids getting interested whether it's adults and often the books that you see in general bookstores or the magic sets that famous tv personalities sort of manufacture and have sold with their name on it these use items which are generally considered to be public domain and if then if they're not considered to be public domain then and they're a member of the magic circle then they suddenly find themselves say for instance in trouble with the magic circle but in our discussion my friend and i we we were actually struggling to define uh, what 
at what point a trick became public domain, how you would define that in a precise way so that you could then apply it to tricks that you knew. Um, so I don't know whether there's an answer to this. I guess it's, it's like a feel. If I was to go and publish a book for the for the general public, there are certain things which I might want to put in it, which I would say, oh, well, that's public domain. But would everything be? And and I've, I might think it's public domain. Another magician would say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not putting that in there, are you? I mean, I use that in my act. Well, if somebody uses it in, in their act, does that mean it's not public domain? I wouldn't have thought so. Just because that person likes that trick and uses it doesn't mean to say that it's not public domain and that it can't be generally disseminated, the information about it. So it's, I have no, if you're hoping I'm going to come up with some solution here, I really don't have one um, because it, it's almost a rhetorical question in a way because I have no idea what the answer might be. But it's the sort of thing that is quite interesting perhaps to discuss with, with down the Magic Club or with some other Magic friends to see whether anybody can come up with the definitive answer to exactly what a public domain trick is um, because that would be quite useful because when it came to people who are let's say, being accused of flagrantly giving away magic to the general public. Well, if public domain tricks are public domain, that means they're apparently they're allowed to be given away to the general public. So it would be nice to know how you would define that, what that type of trick is in the first place. One of the benefits that members to my eClub Pro Club have is that in the middle of each month, they receive an email which has a link through to a video presentation called Mark's Monthly Message. And in Mark's Monthly Message, each month I talk about a particular aspect of magic and give opinion and advice uh, and information about that particular topic. And it's something that I, I really enjoy doing, finding new topics to talk about and to give an opinion on. And um, there are currently about 70 different topics that I've covered, and each month I add a new one. And it struck me that there's a, there's a huge amount of what I think is very valuable and interesting information contained in these messages. And so I've decided to take some of them, not all of them, but just take some of them and make them available as downloadable audio files, which can be purchased, purchased by non-members. Members will continue to get the video uh, as part of their membership. But um, people who don't want to be members, but who would be very interested in finding out what the various topics are and being able to purchase either individual ones or compilations of them, then that is something that I'm starting to offer from this month onwards. If you have a look on my website, you'll see that the, um, the launch of the Mark's Monthly Message audio files is uh, sort of talked about there. I've started off with six particular topics and and a compilation of all six if you like all of them for a discounted price the individual files are four pounds each and the compilation of all the first six is only 15 pounds and uh, go and have a look at the topics because um, the, the, I think you'll find them to be interesting and and re hopefully relevant and although you won't get the video the audio track which which you will be purchasing is totally self-explanatory so I'd just like to point you in that direction in case that's something that you might be interested in. One of my little rituals each weekend is to pop along to the Magic Week website and just catch up on any news and other bits and pieces that Duncan Trillo has got for that week's update. And um, he's recently started to, to do these video files in which 
Um, over the years, he's been recording off the television all sorts of almost anything related to magic, magic shows and magicians. He's been recording them for his own use. And now he's selecting um, key elements of these and putting them up once a week for people visiting either his YouTube channel or the actual website Magic Week itself to watch. And I've really enjoyed them. They've been ever so interesting. And uh, the most recent one that I was watching was the one of Lance Burton and his Royal Variety performance. And I hadn't seen that act for, for quite a few years and I'd forgotten just how unbelievably slick the guy was. Uh, it's just the way that he does everything is so practised and it's like absolutely nothing seems to be left to chance. And there's one bit in his act which... Um, I assume it's it's done every single time. Having not seen his act for a while, I can't remember, but I suspect it is. And he's doing it's in the card manipulations bit. And it made me laugh out loud because at one point he's doing fans of cards and one card flutters out of the fan and drops onto the floor. And he immediately produces another one to replace into the fan. And it, with a sort of little knowing look. And it's all that sort of attention to detail, which is, is, I find, very attractive in any act, actually. But in that particular one, where everything is so slick, and he's obviously done that act hundreds and thousands, probably thousands of times. And it really, really shows. And when you compare that level of sophistication and expertise, and you compare it to... Let's to, let's be fair, some of the magic you see down the magic club where people are doing a trick for the first time. What a chasm there is between the two. It's so noticeable, isn't it? But I, I can remember in my early days um, watching certain other magicians who I admired. Tony Griffith and Roy Johnson were two of them and I saw them do their, their cabaret acts. And uh, I remember with Roy Johnson in particular, he had this little, uh, what was it, an old LP case which he used to use for putting his props in, uh, an idea which I copied because I thought it was such a good idea at the time. And um, I noticed that when he got something out of the case or he put it away, and Alan Shaxon, that's, that's another person who is very similar to this, he didn't need to look. He could look at the audience as he got the, the, the prop out and put it away. He didn't break his eye contact. He didn't break pace. There wasn't a pause while he did any of that. And that's, at that level, sort of the cabaret-style magic, that's similar to what Lance Burton's Silent Manips act is doing. It's that repetition, it's that slickness. And there's something incredibly pleasing, isn't there, about watching any performer who really seems to know what they're doing. And when they reach out without looking and they into a box and they come straight out with the prop that they need, even though it's not that in itself is not a trick, of course, but it, it's such a nice thing to watch because it is so so appealingly slick. Uh, and I know that it had a tremendous impact on me in, in the early days. And I remember thinking even small things such as in close-up magic, how you take a pack of cards out of a box and what you do with the box if you're a strolling magician, where it goes. Do you sort of vaguely look around and think, oh, I've got to put that somewhere. Like it's the first time you've ever taken it out. Uh, the, the cards out of the box or do you know exactly where that's going to go how you fan the cards have a card selected all these very normal to us anyway as magicians very normal actions if they're done in a very smooth way can be very pleasing for people to watch 
and I think it's something that we should all uh, aspire to and, and practice. In one of the networking groups that I go to on a regular basis, there's another member called Matt Richardson who is uh, in his spare time a performer as well. He's He plays in a band, he's a guitarist, he's very good too. So his group is very good. I've heard them play, in fact I've worked alongside them when I'm doing the Magic Round the Tables and they'll be the band that goes on later. And uh, he's, he's very interested in magic and he and I have known each other for ages. And I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about all aspects of magic. And he came out with a question which uh, is one that we've often amongst magicians have discussed and he said yeah he said to me mark why aren't there more women in magic now this is obviously something that he'd noted because all the magicians because we were talking about lots of magicians in the course of our conversation of course they were all men and he said because he said i can't think of any female magicians so i mentioned a couple to him but he 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 said yeah but even so he said there's hardly any why is that and it is an interesting thought, isn't it? It's something that, uh, it, in a way, is very hard to decide upon. I, mean, I think the way I look at it anyway is that magic itself is a very uh, concentrated and focused type of activity. And I think men quite like to focus on the minutiae of, of magic. You think about car magicians and, and the, the, the refinements of the techniques that they like to study and practice and rehearse it's a very very narrow way of looking at things and i often think that women aren't that interested in getting into that much detail i think women have a much perhaps generally bit of a generalization i know but generally i think they have a broader way of looking at things they're interested um perhaps not to always to such a deep level maybe but lots of different things and actually women are often that's why we were talking about women multitasking is they are able to absorb all sorts of different things and maybe that's one of the reasons is that it's just not that interesting to women for that reason. Or maybe it's that magic clubs, for instance, tend to be nearly, not all, but nearly all males. So if a woman does turn up and she discovers she's the only woman in the room, then that may not be a very attractive situation for her to, to join the society as a result of that. So it's probably things like that. And when you think that it wasn't that long ago that the magic circle didn't even allow women members because it was almost like a a gentleman's club in london where the focus was magic well at a gentleman's club you don't allow women now of course they've seen sense and of course women are members but um i i would don't know what the numbers are but i would imagine that still the vast vast majority of members of the magic circle in london are going to be men so whether it's something to do with the social side of magic whether it's magic itself is not particularly appealing to a lot of women, whether magic that is produced and manufactured and sold and created, because it's being created by men, it's almost exclusively by men, then it tends to be male-focused, male-orientated to things that men are interested in, cards and coins. Maybe a lot of women are not interested in those objects particularly. I would imagine that for perhaps, say, stage acts or cabaret acts, that it is more difficult for women to find tricks that suit them as a woman. There are some, and they could no doubt create some, and, and some acts have done that and have found ways to present magic that is different from the way men would do it. But it still must be, I think, a bit more difficult for women to, to find ready-made stuff because most of the stuff is created by men. 
so I don't again don't really know what the entirely what the answer to that is but I, I think it is a pity because women do bring a much wider view to them and certainly could if they were in if there were more of them could influence magic more widely than than perhaps that they do and I think magic would benefit and and interesting if you see in politics at the moment with the the number of women who all at the same time are, are leading their countries in Germany and in Britain, in Scotland. All these people are women who are now le- leading the countries. And so maybe in time, if women continue to be uh, increasingly dominant, then maybe there will become a time when there's much more um, parity between the numbers of women and the numbers of men who do magic. Don't know. It'd be interesting to see, wouldn't it? Well, finally, just to say thank you so much for listening to the last half an hour of my ramblings. I do hope you've uh, found it worth your while. And um, I've mentioned this once or twice before, but I do want to say that if you have um, a topic that you would like me to chat about, then just email it to me. And if I have an opinion on it or I have some information or anything interesting that I could add, then I'll be very happy to do it. If there's something while you're listening to this, you're thinking, wouldn't it be interesting to hear about... Well, let me know because I'm always looking for topics and things that I can discuss and I would be very happy to uh, to hear what you perhaps had in mind. So do let me know. Magic at markleverage.co.uk, of course, is the email address. All you need to do is to pop it into me and say, here's a suggestion for the uh, for the podcast and I'll see what I can do. So have a great August and I will look forward to welcoming you back here again in September. Bye for now.